now, 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 your weekly dose of inspiration, inspiration. Perspiration. perspiration, and just the right amount of bull defecation. <laughs> the Get You Some Radio Show, with your host, the Vice President of Making Shit Happen, Terry Lancaster. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the Get You Some Studio. I'm your host, Terry Lancaster, and I've always wanted to say this. Are you ready? Boom, boom, out go the lights. The thing I love about Nashville, the thing about love about Nashville, I've always loved this, is uh, I, I grew up in Nashville, and you're always running in to music people, and sometimes they're celebrities, and sometimes they're the guy playing the guitar on the edge of the corner, and you just never know. Uh, you know, uh, Vince Gill has picked up my daughter from the steps of Logan's when she tumbled down the stairs when she was two years old and just learning how to walk, and uh, same Logan's, I, I saw George Jones eating in the corner because that was Possum's table, and he was always there. But sometimes you're at a luncheon and you're talking to a guy and the guy says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a musician. And you go, OK, you know, that's great. What you know, what what restaurant do you work at? Because everybody in Nashville is either a, is either a musician, they wait, they wait tables or they're a massage therapist. But sometimes they've been on the road with Pat Travers. They've been on the road with Cindy Lauper. They've been on the road with Joan Jett. They've been on the road with Michael Bolton. And I bumped, in, I bumped into today's, today's guest at a luncheon meeting about six months ago and found out he's a rock and roll legend. And uh, Sandy Gennaro, he's here with us uh, today talk, talking about his 51 years in the rock and roll business and how that can help you in your business. But uh, Sandy, what an honor to meet you. And man, that must, that must have been some life. I was spinning records in, uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, records you were probably playing on while you were touring opening for Queen in Europe. Uh, uh, that, that that has to be amazing. Yeah, it is. And thanks for having me, Terry. I appreciate it. Oh man, no no problem. So, so I mean, you you I, I was reading through your career, and you uh, you kind of got your start a little bit with Pat Travers, and I can remember in the '80s, nothing better than sitting down at Municipal Auditorium with uh, with ten thousand screaming teenagers with the lights coming on, boom boom, out Outdoor go the lights. Light. Yeah, right. man, I, lo I love that. So, how tell us about you? How did you get here? How did you get from from uh, Cindy Lauper to open it to, to, to being in Nashville? Well, it all started in the late 70s. I did a, uh, 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 I, I joined a band called Blackjack and the, the, the personnel in that band was, the singer in that band was Michael Bolton. And that was before he ever did anything famous. And that led to the Pat Travers band. And then from the Pat Travers band, I went and joined Cindy Lauper's band, the story of which I'll tell in a little while. From the Cindy Lauper, uh, from the Cindy Lauper tour, and I joined Cindy Lauper's band when nobody knew who she was, and that was one of the most awesome experiences because within a six-month period of us appearing on MTV and appearing on the Tonight Show, within six months it, the the gig exploded with girls just want to have fun and time after time and all of that. After that, I did a tour with a German band called Kraft. I played on their record. They asked me to promote to go on uh, on the road with them to promote the album. And the tour was with Queen in 1986 in Europe, three months in Europe, opening for Queen. Oh, Every man. night was 50,000 people in a soccer stadium, sold out. More than one night. There was multiple nights in each city. So yeah. I got a chance to tour Europe and go out in my video camera. It was just an awesome experience. And it, it turned out to be Freddie Mercury of Queen's last tour wow. before, he got, before he got sick and succumbed to that disease. But... After that, I, uh, again, a very uh, 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 serendipitous situation led me to the Monkees. <laughs> and I did 
the monkey, the original monkey reunion tour, 86, 87, when, when they were, MTV was, uh, was, was, um, just, uh, flooding, flooding the air with the, the old episodes of the monkeys. And that renewed an interest in the public. And we ended up going on the road and, and I was with them on and off for most of their reunion tours from 1987 until Davey passed in 2012. Mm. And, you know, from that gig, there was Davy Jones's solo gigs in between monkey tours. There was Mickey Dolan's solo gigs. And they all used the monkey part and parcel, the monkey's backing band to support their little solo efforts. So needless to say, we were really, really busy for a long, long time, in and out. And I was able to do some things in between. And one of the things I was able to do in between was Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, because she had seen me play with Cindy Lauper about five years previous. After that, I uh, uh, I went with uh, Johnny Winter in the early 90s. I was with Johnny Winter. And then that led to being in the blues scene now. That led to my gig with Bo Diddley. Wow. And the, I played with Bo Diddley the last five years of his life. And on some of those tours, I was his musical director. So that was a really... Um, and then, you know, again, telling the story about how I got Cindy Lauper's gig and the ramifications of the way I behaved to get the gig and the way I behave, that's going to be the audience's takeaway towards the end of this uh, end, of, end of this conversation. But um, my involvement with Cindy ended up uh, because of my involvement with Cindy. I met the drummer in Jason Aldean's band. He was a fan of mine, and he came to New York City when I was still in New York City. This is how I got to Nashville. Yeah, he looked up a mutual friend that plays with Cindy Lauper now and said, hey, Sammy, I'd like to meet Sandy Gennaro. He's a big fan of his. I'm coming into town with Jason Aldean. I never heard of Jason Aldean at that time. <laughs> my, wife, my wife being from the Carolinas, heard of him. It's the huge country artist, blah, blah, blah. So I went, met Rich Redman, who's the drummer for Jason Aldean presently. Mm. And we got on really, really well. This is New York City. And um, I went to see... Jason Aldean subsequently invited us to the show, and I was amazed that they sold out Madison Square Garden in eight minutes or something. And yeah. that kind of led my thinking, because prior to that encounter with Rich Redmond, I always thought country music, or I always thought Nashville music scene was totally all country. Yeah. You know, pedal steels and twang and, and whatever, you know, I don't yeah. So I, I'm more of a rocker guy, so I always kind of kind of dismissed the notion of, of moving to Nashville. But when I met Rich and saw what Jason Aldean did at a venue in my backyard, Madison Square Garden, and, and how quickly he sold it out, but we actually went to the venue, uh, went to the show, and there's Jason, with all due respect, he stands there like a statue singing. <laughs> but the band is rocking. Yeah. And that's what really opened my eyes. And I, I saw the whole, the audience knew every word of every song. And it wasn't just, you know, twangy country music. It was basically, the band was a rock and roll band backing this country singer with the story of a country song or whatever. But the backing tracks were rock and roll to me. Yeah, absolutely they are. So anyway, Rich said... If you ever, uh, if you ever want to come to Nashville and and and, and uh, come to my house and see what it's like, you know, I have a spare bedroom, whatever in Brentwood. So I took him up on his offer a couple of months later. I saw, and he, we sat in at Third and Lindsley, and we sat in at the basement, and a couple other uh, uh, exit in, and he took me around. Was really a good host. 
and based on that visit, I called my wife and I said, you know, why don't we just go ahead and uh, and uh, move to Nashville? And she was she was ecstatic. Mm. She was she was ecstatic, being that she's now getting closer to her home in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she's a Southern girl by heart. And she was happy. She's been in New York with me for thirty years, so she was very very happy to get out of New York. And there was something, you know, as many things repelled me from New York as attracted me to Nashville. There was something, you know, just the normal everyday traffic and the expenses, the expense of living in New York City and the tolls and, the, you know, everything, the, the construction that goes on. And then you had Nashville and three and a half years ago, Nashville was a little less crowded than it is now. Yeah, I, I, I tell everyone, uh, you know, I tell everyone how, how great Nashville is. The weather's great. The music scene's great. The hockey is great. Everything is great. Please do not move here. Right. You're welcome to come visit, but go home when you're done. We are too full. Sandy, you spent 51 years in the rock and roll business. And like I've said before, Nashville is full of failed musicians. It's full of people who came to Nashville with big dreams and, and now they're waiting tables or they, they, they've, a lot of them have moved on to something else. What do you think, and, you, and you, you said everything was kind of serendipitous. One thing kind of led to another and you've tumbled forward for 51 years. What do you think helped, helped propel you to, to stay in the business as long and be successful at it? Well, um, if I can move Terry to the takeaway part of it, I'm yeah. going to explain, as briefly explain as briefly as I can, briefly explain the situation, uh, how I got Cindy Lauper's gig. And that basically indirectly uh, led me to the life that, the life that I have today. I was with the Pat Travers band, as you mentioned, early 80s, and we played a club, and it was very, very hot and very crowded. My road manager said, hurry up, let's get out of here after we had a long bus ride or whatever. And I'm usually the last out of the dressing room every night because I change from head to toe, I'm sweating. So anyway, on my way out, I'm in a really, really huge hurry. And on my way out, there's a guy standing, literally blocking my way out of the dressing room, standing in the doorway going, hey, man, I really like the way you play. And... Uh, I, I, I like that. What, what, what did you play in that particular song? Because I really, really liked it. And I'm going, I'm looking at my watch. I'm going, hey, buddy, I'm really, really in a hurry. The point is, I didn't blow him off. I said, what can I do for you, buddy? Because I'm in a hurry. He goes, well, I'm a bass player living here in Connecticut. And I was just thinking maybe you can audition, help me get an audition as, uh, as a player in New York City. So I said, well, listen, I don't, uh, I, can't, I can't recommend you until I hear you play. So here's my home number my home address, send me a cassette with your playing and I'll, I'll try to help you any way I can. He goes, he goes this is your home, this is 1981. Uh, 19, 1981, so it was my home number, no cell phones, no yeah. email, home number and address. He goes, I can't believe you gave me your home number, Sandy, thank you, very appreciative. Fast forward, I turned him on to some gigs in New York, he never really got anything, but he turned into kind of a friend and he always appreciated that notion of not, me not blowing by him in that doorway. And three years later, he called me back and he said, hey, I just signed this girl to Epic Records. She's going to be huge. Why don't you come down and, and we, want your, we want your backbeat in the band. That, that's the way he said. We want you to play in the band. We're in uh, the record plant right now, finishing up the record. We're doing some overdubs on the record. And I and, uh, want you to come down. I said, Dave, I'm coming off an arena tour right now. I said, you can't expect me to join a brand new band. And with all due respect, everybody thinks their next new project is going to be the next big thing. Yeah. So he goes, Sandy, you got to hear this stuff. I said, send me some tracks that you've been working on in the studio. So he sent me some tracks, and it was kind of light. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? 
David, I'm not the guy for this, but I can recommend one of my students or another drummer or whatever. Uh, he goes, no, man, we want you. We want you. Come down and at least meet her. So I went down in the studio and I met, I met her and met Cindy. And um, she asked me if I knew how to play with a metronome. And I said, yes, I do know how to play with a metronome. <laughs> We're working on, there's a drum machine on this song called Time After Time. And there's a line in the song that says, when the clock ticks, I think of you. Could you make the snare drum sound like a clock? And I went, I kind of scratched my head and the producer chimed in. He said, just play the side stick on the snare to make it sound like a, it sounds like a ticking of a clock on two, three, and four of the measure. There's yeah. a drum set in the studio. Just go ahead and go in. You don't have to play anything else on the drum, just that side stick, because we have drum machine, bass drum, and the rest of the track is there. Yeah. So I went in and I put the headphones on and I heard time after time and I watched the producer and he gave me a, a sign, went to come in and I played and that was it. And, uh, when I met when, that encounter in the studio, not only lent, lent my side stick to time after time, which is that that's me playing on that track, just the side stick, the clock sounding thing. Yeah. Uh, but it also, uh, in meeting this woman and hearing the rest of the stuff in a studio environment, I said, people are gonna notice this woman, whether they, they, uh, they disapprove or approve, but she's gonna command an opinion from everybody, you know, with the hairstyle and the squeaky voice and whatever. And it, lo and behold, it turned out to be one of the biggest gigs of my life. No. Toured the world. She was, a, as everybody knows, that was around in the 80s. She was an unbelievably high profile media artist. This is before Madonna, and we did Life Magazine shoots. We did People Magazine shoots. We were MTV, all this heavy rotation on MTV, world tours everywhere. But the point is, as a result of me joining Cindy's band and not blowing off the little guy, it's the seemingly little guy, I met my wife on that tour mm -hmm. in uh, November of 84, and we're still married. We're married for 30 30, we're married for 27 years, together for 32 years. Wow. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you very, very much. So in addition to that, how the band, after two years, how the band dis disbanded was another long story. But the guy that took my place in Cindy Lauper's band is the guy named Sammy Marandino. And I called him when he got the gig, and he, uh, or he called me, actually, and was asking me questions, but... I didn't take it as competition or me being angry at him or having some sort of vibe against him because now he's in my drum stool. But I, I helped him. I, know, I told him what buttons to push with Cindy, what buttons to stay away from. And I helped him with getting him acquainted to what the gig called for and how to be successful at the gig. As a result, he called me years later and his friend was Rich Redmond. And that was the connection between yeah. Rich Redman and me, which led to my move to Nashville. One other example of you should always, and this is my lesson to everybody, and they can start it in their own house. They could start it with their employees. They can start it with their business. They can start it with the people they pass in a Martin Kroger. Is always make people better off for having crossed your path. Always add value to a person because not because you're going to to see what you're going to get in return. You, you do it because it feels good and you do it because you're spreading a little positive light in somebody's day, whether it's helping somebody change their life with the advice you give them, 
like um, like Sammy did with me and Rich or whatever. It changed my life. At 63 years old, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, sold my house and whatever. And I thought I was going to die in New York City, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But so things change, but you never, never, ever know. Uh, so if you put that vibe out there and you're in a positive flow and you think positive about your own goals, about your the, the, the welfare of other people, whether it be friends, whether it be just acquaintances, whether it be your family, whether it be your employees, whether it be your CEO, whether it be whatever, if you care about and you want to make their lives and or jobs better, you're in a certain kind of flow. And you're, you, the, the universe, to me, the higher power above us, uh, opens up possibilities that you had no idea ever existed. We all have our goals and we all have where we want to be in 10 years and the five-year plan and the one-year plan or whatever. But you got to be ready for stuff being placed in front of you that you should take advantage and never ever, you just think to yourself whether you're gonna spend energy on an idea, well, what can come of this idea? Could it be, would it be a positive result? Would it be spreading positive? If it's positive, it's worthwhile checking out. Case in point. Sometimes, as I said, sometimes you're, it places things in front of you that are aligned with your goal, like the Cindy Lauper gig. I was nice to David in the yeah. doorway and, and the universe placed that in front of me. But I, I, in, in 2010, again, Pat, I, I, I forgot to mention before my, my bio that I went, Pat called me back in 2010 mm -hmm. and I went back on the road with Travers. And during a show in San Diego about like maybe 2012, what I usually do after a gig is to throw drumstick out, drumsticks. Now, I don't look for the most attractive blonde in the second row. Anymore. I look, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I look for handicapped people. I look for little kids. I look for the grandparents that brought the little kids to the show or whatever. I want to make somebody happy. That's yeah. the point. So there I am at San Diego throwing the drumsticks out of the audience, and I threw it to... I had, during the last song, I'm earmarking who in the front couple of rows or who, who's going to be the recipient of the drumstick. So I handed, I, I threw a drumstick to a handicapped woman in a wheelchair. The next day, her husband Facebook messages me and said, I want to talk to you. You threw the drumstick to my wife. So I spoke to him. We had a conversation. He went on and on how I added value to his wife's. Uh, he, she couldn't believe that I pointed her, you know, I picked her to have the drumstick or whatever. And this guy, his name is Mike Pierce, and he's a motivational speaker. Yeah. And in that conversation and thanking me what I did for his wife, he said, I'm doing a presentation at Bridgestone coming up. Why don't you come? So I went to the presentation at uh, Bridgestone. Before that, I met him for coffee before we walked to Bridgestone. And he asked me, this, how'd you get Cindy Lauper's gig? How'd you get Joan Jett's gig? How'd you get... And I told him. So now we're at the presentation. I'm on the side of the, uh, the, side of the stage. A fly in the wall, and he says, Sandy, uh, that's my friend Sandy Gennaro, blah, blah. He's played with this one, that one. Do you mind if I tell the Cindy Lauper story? And I said, no. So he told the Cindy Lauper story of never, never blow off the little guy, always add value, and blah, blah, blah. It got a really, really good response. As leaving Bridgestone with Michael, he said, hey, I'm going to do this presentation to the future leaders of uh, FedEx in Collierville, Tennessee, outside of Memphis, in like three weeks' time. Why don't you come and tell the story yourself? I said, sure. So during his presentation, he was giving a, like a five hour 
training to the future leaders of FedEx in Collierville. So I sat in the back of the room and I noticed that the, the meeting coordinator was plugging in her phone during breaks so they can have house music playing during the break. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I queued up time after time in my phone and I had it ready. And then Mike introduces me, you know, blah, 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 Sandy Gennaro's play with this one. He's got an interesting story for you. I went up and I told the I did like 20 minutes. And did says you know told the Cindy Lauper story and I, I never mentioned her name during this story but I I got never blowing off the little guy making everybody better off for having crossed your path led to this when I plugged in my phone and time after time kept, uh, started playing and it got a, a standing ovation so there after that little thing and he saw how I spoke in front of people. Uh, he said, you should consider being a, a motivational speaker, and I'll help you any way I can. So he introduced me to Blaine Weiss, which invited me to the leadership thing, which is how I met you, Terry. There he you in- go. He introduced me to Gare Maxwell, who's the number one speaker in Canada, and he's kind of in part of my little brain trust, my speaking brain trust, and I'm starting to do gigs now. And, and um you know, it's another example. Now I'm in the speaking world and, and I, I, I can't, I will go to my grave believing this. And if, and if people listening take this one example of be kind to everybody in business and in life, good things will come because that's, it's not a favor to you. It's the way the universe is put together in my belief that if you do good without expecting anything in return, Things happen good for you. And that happens in your home, with your family. That happens with strangers. It happens with business people, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so that that is, to me, uh, it's like a, a very, very, you know, and another example of, I do these rock and roll fantasy camps. I'm a yeah. counselor at these rock and roll fantasy camps. And I had someone in my fantasy camp and in my band, in my, counts, in my camper band, and as you know, if people don't know what the fantasy camp is about, the CEOs and guys that used to play in college or whatever, they pay a really hefty amount to be in this camp. It's like a sports fantasy camp with your favorite team, all right? Yeah. So the guitar player in this fantasy camp band was a little bit on the annoying side when I was involved with him and whatever, but he, he was always very polite and knew when to stop asking me questions about Cindy, about Joan Jett, about this one, that one. He sent me a Christmas card every year, and it was very nice. It was one of those, uh, you know, what he's been doing for the, the previous year. And when I moved to Nashville, he lost touch with me. So he Facebook messaged me, finally found me after a year I'm, I'm living here, and uh, I could have blew him off, yeah. being that the fact I knew who he was, and, you know, I didn't want to be asked questions about what Joan Jett's favorite breakfast cereal is. And I, I, I don't need to answer questions like that. So, but I didn't blow him off. I called him. He turns out to be a CEO of like nine hotels in the Bay Area, Intercontinentals, Westins. And he not only manages them, but uh, builds them. He's got an architectural arm of his business. Pacific Hotel Management. He called me. Hey, Sandy, thanks for giving me your new address in Nashville, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing these days? So I told him what I was doing as far as speaking and playing and whatever. He goes, what do you speak about? And I told him about what I speak about. And uh, he said, you want to speak for my company? I ended up doing my first legitimate speaking gig for a nice chunk chunk of change. And I don't have to say what the amount is, but you know what speakers get, Terry. And uh, so 
as a result of me not blowing him off and being and not, and not knowing anything that he's going to ask me to speak. Oh, let me contact Clement because he's going to ask me. May, may he may have a gig for me? No, I spoke to him because he he expressed interest in me. You know, if somebody he, I got an email yesterday from some woman in England saying, "Hey, I saw on your Instagram that you used to play with the monkeys." Uh, and you have a picture on your Facebook page of a pair of your drumsticks with your name and your logo. You think you could send me a pair of your drumsticks? Now, I could have just easily deleted that email. Mm -hmm. Who wants to send something international? With... So I, but I answered her. You know what I mean? So regardless of who it is, if they took the time and said, hey, man, I really appreciated what you did on the drums last night, I'm going to answer them. Regardless of what is going to you know, not with any kind of return happening. So that's basically what, what the gist of how I uh, conduct my life. Well, Sandy, that, 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 that is fantastic. <laughs> you, I got, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you, I'm going to put a little bit of free advice out for you in, into the universe and, and see if any karma comes back. But if I've got one suggestion for you, if you could, if you could ramp up the energy just a little bit, I mean, you're, you're just, well. <laughs> You need to dial it up, Sandy. Nobody's going to go for this low-key act, I'm telling you. So, <laughs> Listen, thank you. I, I have had an absolute blast. I enjoyed hearing about it. And um, if you want to send me a message later and let me know what Joan Jett's favorite breakfast is, that'll be, that'll be great. I will. I'll do that. But, but do thank, that. thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for, for telling your story and for spreading a great message. Uh, lead me back to another 80s song, One Thing Leads to Another. So That's just correct. To, that one thing leads to another and just uh, just put it out there. Uh, one of the greatest speakers of all time said you can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And uh, so Sandy Daniara is going right down that path. Sandy, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, if they needed a set of signed drumsticks, how would they get in touch with you? Well, they can email me at Sandy at SandyGennaro.com. And the spelling of my last name is G-E-N-N, -N, like Nancy, A-R-O. Um, the the, uh, the title of my presentation is Beating the Drums and Beating the Odds in Music, Business, and in Life. And I work off the acronym BEATS, which stands for Belief, Enthusiasm, Attitude, Tenacity, and Service. And that's basically, in a nutshell, if we apply all those attributes to our life, um, we will be successful. We right. will be. So I look forward to hearing from you guys. And let me know what you liked about my whole spiel and what you didn't. And uh, I'd be sure to answer you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sandy. We'll see you next time. <laughs> you got it, Terry. Thank you so much, buddy. All right. Being the boss is fun. Taking your ideas, turning them into something new, and watching it grow. Oh, it's a lot of work. But it's a lot of fun. Until it's not. Most businesses reach a point where good ideas, common sense, and hard work just aren't enough anymore. They get stuck. Now, it's time to get unstuck. Unstuck 10 Proven Strategies for Breaking Through the Barriers to Small Business Growth. Get your copy today and get unstuck. Get you some radio. You've been listening to the Get You Some Radio Show. Subscribe today at terrylancaster.tv to hear more episodes, win valuable cash and prizes, and get free training to help you create an army of buyers who know, like, and trust you before they've ever even met you. It's a big, wide world, boys and girls. Get out there and get you some.